3: Shoot.
0: Yeah, is it, yeah, is yeah, yeah. A shoe. Is
3: it a shoe? No, I would know. Yes, Matt.
0: Come
3: on. Yes, Matt. Come on. Matt, Matt, Do it. I need to know that these shoes are a health hazard. They're so smelly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God.
1: They're fleece lined, so much of it's still in the house shoe. It's lights out in away! way.
0: Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. I've got a bit of a hangover, so bear with me. Uh, Matt does as well. Uh, how, how are you doing, Callum? I'm fine. I slept it all off. Twelve hours sleep, so me right out. I'm good. So, um, we, we had the Formula Nerds Christmas party last night, which... It was basically just an excuse to all get together and have a few drinks, but it got so out of hand, it was unbelievable, I can't remember really anything that did happen, which is the same as this race today. Um, but before we get into that, I want to welcome Andy, who is the co-founder of the Formula Nerds, who's never been on the show before. How are you, Andy? Oh, good, thanks. How are you doing? Um, we thought, well, Andy never comes on the podcast, so it's about time that he showed his face, wasn't it, Matt? It was your idea, actually.
1: It was. I mean, Fernando Alonso is making his appearance back in the paddocks. So it only made sense to bring back our old man and let it, drag him before the masses. <laughs> um, Thank you, <laughs> What did you think of today's race, Andy? Just uh, We
0: won't go into it now, but just give me a 1 to 10 on what you thought of it, sir.
3: 1 to 10, uh, 0. I slept through most of it. That's
0: good. How good. It was. I think the Formula One community probably agree with you. Um, should we address the elephant in the room, Matt and Cal, uh, as to our, our little week off that we had? We just fancied a break, didn't we? Yeah, we'll go with that.
1: I mean, if we had just waited for this race weekend, we could have. Uh, that would have been the better route to go. But it is the final one of the year, so we can summate at depth, in depth, at length. Whatever you know what I mean. Yes, we can, with hangovers.
0: Um, so we are back this week. We aren't going anywhere. We're not even going to leave you alone during the, um, the off-season. But let's just quickly cover the the Secure GP, because of all the podcast race reviews to miss, that was, that was a big one. It was a heck of a race, wasn't it? But what did we think of it? Cal, let's just start with you. Race rating and driver of the day. What did you think, mate? The race was brilliant. 10 out of 10. Best race of the season for me
2: and George Russell was driver of the day. Things out of his hands meant he didn't win, but I thought he was fantastic from start to finish. I think he would have probably given Hamilton a run uh, if Hamilton was in Bottas' car or vice versa. I think George Russell was very, very fast, something to look forward to in a couple of years. Yeah, I mean,
0: well, Matt might not give him driver of the day. Matt, what's your uh, race rating in your uh, driver of the day
1: for last week? Race rating is definitely a 10. Uh, It was a bunch of unique circumstances that coalesce into some really exciting storylines and on-track action. Uh, I have to give Esteban Ocon driver of the day. Uh, It was awesome to see him get a podium. He wasn't the flashiest driver of the day, but he was the most consistent, You know, the epitome of the quiet professional. He managed it well. He made all the right moves. The strategy on the Renault pit wall was exceptional, and the results speak for themselves. I mean, I don't think anybody could have guest an Ocon podium out of that at the beginning of the race. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that.
0: Um, Andy, what was your race
3: rating and your driver of the day? Ten out of ten. I haven't seen a race like that for uh, many years. I've been a fan for many years. That's uh, certainly a certainly thing to say. Um, drive for me, Scotty be Perez. Being a sneaky Perez fan myself, um, he's certainly one of my uh, favourites. Uh, obviously, George had an amazing drive, jumped into a car that he hadn't pretty much driven before obviously filling some very big boots there for Hamilton and uh yeah the, the shocker obviously was the Mercedes pit stops which uh, just threw the um race into disrepair and uh if uh pair is a chance for a first win
0: yeah I mean it lined up beautifully didn't it it was lovely not to have a Mercedes one too I would have wanted Russell to win it but hey ho he didn't but the right man did I think um God, it's, it's a dangerous subject. Shall we talk about that Merck pit stop or shall we just skip right over it?
1: Oh, no, 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 no. Mercedes does not <laughs> get a free pass on this. Absolutely not.
0: I hope someone can explain to me what happened. I've watched it three times. And I still don't understand how they got it so wrong. Well, I think the big question first is did they even need that pit stop?
2: Probably not. I've heard a lot of people mm-hmm. saying that it was, it was um, strategically done because Russell was doing too well. That's what I've heard from a few people, but, you know, Ooh. they're always going to say that,
1: aren't they? There's always going to be the tin hat wearing conspiracy theorists, F1 fans. Uh, you know, there's all the talk this year of it's the car, it's the car, which we're not addressing that. We've done that enough in the comments and in previous episodes, but I personally feel that I understand the intent behind that. If somebody else had gone for the undercut and they were worried about a massive pace advantage, it, it makes sense. Uh, it fell apart obviously, and a the double stack went horribly, horribly wrong because they had the wrong tires allocated. But also, the only reason Russell did not win that race, and this will be a very unpopular opinion, is because of how hard he was pushing. Uh, that right rear puncture that came after that, I think, is attributed to him going off track and exceeding track limits in a couple of places to try and make very aggressive moves. Uh, you know that I understand the excitement and the desire to excel and push hard and get a good result and i will not bash him on that i just think it was he had a chance to do something and kind of all not even common sense sense of precaution left the building when he got in that car i was like there's a chance there's a chance i can do this holy crap right foot and it bit him
0: yeah that uh, is is f1 about precaution
1: not at all uh, it is about self-preservation in times, though. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, so Mercedes, they had the wrong tyres there. I still don't quite understand how, how that's even possible to have the wrong tyres there. Uh, it, was just a, it was just a disaster for Mercedes. And their last disaster like this was, was it Germany 2019?
1: I'd say a disaster of that scale, yeah, definitely. See if always- I know what the common thread was between that race and Germany 2019.
3: Was They were being filmed, weren't they?
1: That's right, Netflix. Yeah. So That's whoever it. the uh, writer, producer is of Netflix, keep it up. Cover them more. <laughs> yeah, every yeah, race,
3: right there.
0: <laughs> I, I did hear, So for those that don't quite realize what Matt's referring to, it's Drive to Survive. They were in apparently in the Mercedes garage for that race, like they were in 2019 when it all went wrong in Germany. But I did see, don't get too excited, because I have heard a few things saying that they weren't actually there. Do you want to hear
2: something interesting about the whole Russell, Bottas, Mercedes little saga? Yes, please. So we did a vote on Facebook and the vote was, do you think Russell should get Bottas' seat next season or 2022 when his contract's up? Now, we had 115,000 votes on this post. 110,000 of them voted for Russell to get the seat from Bottas. I think that speaks (laughs) massive volumes. (laughs) as to what they
0: saw in that race. So uh, I'll Um, say no more, but the numbers don't lie. Let me just recap on that. 115,000 people voted and 110 of them said that Russell should take Bottas's seat.
3: Yeah. Oh,
1: God. 110,000. 1,000, yeah,
0: sorry. Sorry, (laughs) 110,000. Yeah, just put the K on the end of that. Wowzers. And... I was one of those votes, I think. I I, I agree.
1: Matt? Absolutely. Uh, I have been trying so hard to be partial, impartial with Botas. You've been a Botas believer, is what you've been all year. I have, and it just... It keeps slapping you on the head, doesn't it? Well, I'm also a Seb fan, so maybe I'm just a slow learner. Um, <laughs> but it's this weird balancing act in that he is second, but in the same way that Max Verstappen has always benefited from a number two that can push him and can learn and grow with, uh, Hamilton doesn't have that. Botas is not anywhere near the same echelon as Hamilton. I think almost anybody in the grid would be a better teammate at this point than Valtteri Botas.
0: Callum? Verstappen
2: only finished nine points behind Botas in the championship in a car that's not as good. So, Mm -hmm. you know... Why isn't Bottas closer to Hamilton? Why isn't Bottas further away from his nearest competitor, which is actually Verstappen?
1: Why was Bottas barely ahead of Russell with an extra pit stop, more time off the track for Russell in a car he'd only driven that weekend? He he did not beat George Russell. George Russell was a victim of circumstance in that race last week. George Russell had four pit stops.
0: I'm so happy. I have finally converted Matt into uh, a non-Bottas believer. How can I put this? Into a, a Bottas basher. Um, you've all season. you've believed in him, and now it's taken to the last race for you to actually admit I was right.
1: I think I, 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 will, I will give you... <sighs> it's go on, go on, do it. Do it do I it. will say you're right. Yes! Uh, the same way I have to be uh, fair and consistent. If I'm going to bash Albon, I can't defend Botas. Uh, and it's, in essence, the same situation, just with different results because of the teams. Uh, so if I'm mm-hmm. if I'm calling for Albon to be ousted, I have to call for Botas to be ousted as well.
0: It's the same situation, isn't it? Just a poor number two driver. We think, but we don't work for the F1 team, so we don't know. Um, right. I'm just gonna close off that race by saying it was a ten out of ten race, even though it was heartbreaking. Um it was exactly why we watch F1, it was drama all the way through and I love the track as well. We haven't we haven't mentioned that. I thought the 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 shortness of it and what was it, fifty seven seconds a lap ish? Yeah. That just made it so interesting because when you're pitting they were were just drivers all the way around the entire circuit the whole time. So there were no gaps, which I thought made
1: it particularly interesting. I will have to eat some crow. I honestly thought it was going to be kind of like today, a DRS train. Uh, but with the differences in strategies, the insane number of pit stops, you know, I was calling for a two stop race. Uh, George Russell doubled that (laughs) and still finished in the points. Uh, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I am not sure if it's a permanent format that we'd like to see, like those high speed outer tracks with very few braking zones. You know, it it was enough of a shake up that it felt like a new track, and we had that unexpected with it. Uh, I wouldn't want to see it every year because I don't think it can be repeated. Uh, the magic of that there were so many things coalescing to make that unique, but. It did not end up being a NASCAR. Everybody follow their tur- turning one direction race like I thought it was going to be. I was pleasantly surprised.
2: Yeah, I think Matt makes a good point there because every single new circuit we've had this season has provided a good race. Not one of the new circuits has been boring. <clears throat> well, that's purely because the teams <clears throat> didn't know the circuit. In, in,
0: uh, Imola, Imola, Imola? Was Imola boring? It wasn't a new circuit. It was boring until the last two laps. New. Well, it was. It was. It was new yeah, to the but, the, season, the schedule. We can debate that all day long, but if if you're saying new yeah, circuits, I will you're, back you're down. Right on the whole, the new
2: circuits have provided good racing, good uh, good TV to watch. But once the you know Mercedes get to learn that track, they're going to dominate it, aren't they? It's as simple as that. So I think Matt's right. We couldn't see it every single year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Especially not two uh, two in a row at the same place, I don't think that's going to work. Andy, you sent me the funniest screenshot the other day, which was it was from, I can't remember the date, but it was back in February this year when you were having a little panic attack because we had got to 202 members and you didn't know how we were going to handle it.
3: Do you remember that? Absolutely. I do remember that, yeah. There was uh, crazy times starting something up that was so small and just... uh now coming into something so massive, it's unbelievable. Um, very exciting times. But, yes, yeah, I, I definitely had a panic attack at just 200. Look at us now, 20-odd 20, 20 thousand people. It's part of the group.
0: <laughs> Crazy. Unbelievable. It's mad. And, and you know, I, you're the guy who just just works behind the scenes and just cracks on with it. And when I was working away at the time, travelling, you were the one there running the group. And, uh, no, thank you. It's it's nice to have you on. What was your highlight of this actual F1 season, would you say? Because you're you're an old-school F1 fan, aren't you?
3: Oh, yeah, 100% I am, yeah. Um, Highlight, it's got to be that the season even started, to be honest with you, obviously with the problems that we've had this year and everything. Um, Definitely it's an achievement that even... Started. so uh, we've had a few uh, shocking races a few uh, different race wins obviously hamilton taking seven championships is, is amazing um uh, throughout out, i think it's quite a classic season and i uh, really enjoyed it
0: yeah yeah we're, we're gonna do um not this week but we're gonna do a full season review so that's going to come up in the next couple of weeks where we really dig into the details of it um andy do 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 give us your thoughts on any particular events but i'm just gonna say i
3: We don't know it yet, but this could have been one of the greatest F1 seasons ever. I've got to agree with you there. I think I've said that in one of the posts, actually I've questioned them on the group um, asking that exact same question. Is this one of the, maybe the top 10 all all, um, classic seasons? Uh, A lot of people have have agreed, to be fair. It could certainly be within that. Mm -hmm.
1: And not only do I think it was one of the best seasons, I think the entire world needed this season more than any season's ever been needed. Uh, We know we were all despondent with the way Australia went down people at the gates we were all hopeful F1's here baby we're ready to rock and roll and it was the carpet was yanked from underneath us Uh, but you know with the COVID lockdowns and just the sheer weight of this year I almost think we would have loved any F1 season but to be rewarded with such a unique and story-filled season it almost made 2020 worth it it wasn't but that's (laughs) one of the few bright spots (laughs)
0: yeah for sure i mean it it wasn't in terms of the battle for the championship obviously um but i can't think of an f1 season that's had that many dramatic races in there ever i I really can't recall it you know you normally have a few stonking races a season but that's it this has been like go 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 and uh respect to chase carey for making it happen well said matt we're going to take a quick break and when we're back we're going to talk about well what there is to talk about from today and we will see you on the other side
3: Hello there, guys. It's Will here, the normal bloke from Formula Neds. Um, I've just finished recording uh, a, a video that I have scripted and written. It's our 2020 Roundup video. It's the video that I talk to you guys about the history of our channel and our community. And also uh, take a brief look at what happened this year uh, in F1. Um, I did try quite hard this time, so hopefully it'll be a good video. Um, it should be ready just before Christmas. So even though the season is over, we have something that we hope you're going to enjoy. Anyway, we'll see you soon. Take care.
0: Welcome back to the Cut to the Race podcast, um, we're going to talk about the race in a little bit. But before we do, let's just sort of have a little little chat on some things that happened during the week. Um, I think the, the the one that everyone's talking about and thinking about is Mazipin, Mazipin, Mazipan. I think it's Mazipin. It is Mazipin. Not here. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> what do you say, Mark? Maze pin. It's marzipan. It's <laughs> that
2: loosely translated to s- sweet corn pen. <laughs> you call me sweet corn. Right you over
0: there? <laughs> um, yeah. So the news um, broke that he'd uh, been. Uh, this is this is going to be a difficult one to discuss. Really, who who would like to intro this? I'll take it. Okay. Good. Thanks.
2: He, basically, it, there was a thing that went onto his Instagram story of him touching a woman who was in the back of his car now I will just drop this in as well that 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 woman did speak out on her own and say that what happened was all okay so bearing that in mind it could have just been a little bit of fun between friends but I think on a professional level he should not have let that video ever surface to the internet for millions of people to see it
0: it it was quite shocking Um, and it went down quite quickly but Obviously, the people ripped it and put it onto all of the different sites. I, I saw it. Um, Matt, what was what was? What's your take on it?
1: I think it's personally a slap in the face to the "We Races One" initiative. Uh, you know, that's all about gender equality, racial equality, uh, and you know, we can debate back and forth about the merits of racing and Bahrain uh, underneath that initiative, but also. I am not one to dictate or set what acceptable roles and instances are for women in society. However, to have it propagated like that and to also be a representative of the Haas team is deplorable. Uh, I understand they're friends. That's great, but that's behind closed doors. It doesn't need to be on the front page of the internet for everybody to see and to paint drivers in that In that coloration state, there are the old stories of, and the old heads of, well, back in back in the seventies, well, we're not in the seventies anymore. You know, the things that some of those drivers did did not make front page news. There was not video of it, and it wasn't available and digestible for anybody with a computer or cell phone at the time. Well, there wasn't a cell phone at the time. You know what I'm saying? It just it's a very very bad look, and I think he has a lot of growing up to do. I don't care what their relationship is at the end of the day, you have to be respectful, you have to be a professional, and that was the furthest thing from that.
2: Yeah, I mean, he, he's got to think about the people it,
1: it, he directly
2: affects now, all of his sponsors and his endorsements and his team, Haas, and Formula One itself. He's not even got into an F1 car yet and driven it in anger. He's literally just been announced as a Haas driver and he's already let the side down. Now, obviously, we... we very delicately mentioned this on Facebook and put it out to a vote, basically asking, should he keep his job based on what he did? And out of the 32,000 people that voted, 29,000 of them said, no, he shouldn't keep his job. That says a lot. That shows you how many people didn't agree with what he did and disagreed with the way it was handled.
1: And all I can think of is Mazepan finished, what, fifth in F2 this last year? And you have Callum Eilat there in the sideline, who was also one of the drivers rumored to be going to Haas. And I feel for him because, granted, we can't look at somebody through the lens of, you know, could have, should have, would have. The simple fact of the matter is it's representing something bigger than yourself. It's no longer just your name on the line. There are millions upon millions of dollars that go into the PR coaching the brand image, all this for these F1 teams, and this little turd nugget goes out there and does this and it's almost a spit in the face of the other drivers that could have, should have, would have gotten that drive if it wasn't for the financial backing. I get it. F1's business. We all know this. You know, we always joke about Lawrence Stroll having funding. Well so does Nikita's father. But it just it ticks me off that we're going to allow him to slide. And better drivers, i said it, better drivers are not filling that seat now just because of the financial backing.
0: Yeah, I think the the only thing I'm going to say just on Mazepin is he needs to grow up. He was trying to act cool, um, but it was three three in the morning in Bahrain, wasn't it, when he did this, um, driving around. It it's just all seems a bit strange to me. Um he'll live and learn, but it wasn't great for Haas. I think that's that's the biggest shame about it all. It really, really came down hard on Haas. And like everything, it got blown out of proportion. Um, but uh, that's going to happen if you do these things. Cal? Can you imagine the state of Gunther's office door right now
2: after that, after he found out? <laughs>
0: I'm I'm going to move on
1: because we look like wankers doesn't mean we want to see you do it.
0: Uh, you, you're steering me into dangerous territory here. Oh, God. Um, Matt, um, Ferrari CEO stepping away. What happened there?
1: Oh, man. Uh, so Louis Camilleri uh, recently recovered from COVID and has stepped away citing personal reasons. And, you know, wish him all the best. Good riddance. Uh, um, basically, there's a whole saga tying together uh, with when Lewis Camilleri took over. Uh, basically, I mean, he took on in 2018 after Marcioni passed away, unfortunately. Uh, but I think this could be a changing of the guard and the mentality there at Ferrari. Marcioni uh, took over. Brought Ferrari and Fiat and all these other companies back, but was renowned as a very, very ruthless individual in the business dealings. Uh, almost a, almost a dictator style of leadership. Uh, if you didn't go his way, you were bounced. You were shown the door. And there were a lot of things going on in the leadership environment there at Ferrari at the time. Uh, you know, they lost the chance to get Adrian Newey. Uh, They went after him three times. Adrian Newey is now, of course, the chief technical director at Red Bull, kicking butt and taking names. Uh, He would have been a huge plus for Ferrari if they had gotten him. They also lost James Allison, uh, who was there for a while and left because the environment there was so (sighs) pressurized and competitive and cutthroat and just unforgiving. Um, You know, some of the other names that are attached there or uh, Patty Lowe, who, of course, jettisoned out of Williams at the beginning of the season last year. Uh, the biggest takeaway I have from it is the f- problem Ferrari has had for a while is going back to the Schumacher era. There was this desire and this trend of getting the best of the best. It did not matter who you were or where you came from. If you were the best in your field, Ferrari wanted you. Uh, at one point, Adrian Newey called their offer rock star like or almost like a movie star offer. That's how concerned they were being competitive above all else. And somewhere along the line, and I don't know if I will attribute it to Marcion or Camilleri, uh, it became, you know, we have to represent Italy. And there are brilliant minds coming out of Italy in the engineering sector. But f ones the pinnacle. You can't have just the best in Italy. You have to have the best in the world. So my hope is to see the changing of the guard and getting back to their roots. Enzo did not care who you were or where you from. If you were the man for the job, he, he's on your ass. He's after you. He's paying everything he can. He will accept nothing less than greatness. And I really hope to see Ferrari turn that around. Obviously, you know, people are tired of hearing me talk about Ferrari, uh, You know, but that's where my heart lies. Uh, it's a very, very long, winding road. But it could be a very, very good thing for the Defosi and Scuderia in the back end.
0: Okay. I've got a couple of questions on on this. So Bring it Fer- on. Ferrari, they've pretty much got as much money as they want to employ who they want. Am I correct? Essentially, yes. Okay. Uh, so what does this change then mean for for next year? Is this going to make a big big difference or is this just, you know, it's just another... Another thing that they're going to have to adapt to and get used to.
1: One of the biggest criticisms I had of Camillary is he wielded too much power on the F1 side of things rather than turning it loose, if you will. Uh, the biggest change I think we're going to see will be a reevaluation of the powers that be in the F1 leadership. Specifically, I'm not sure if Mattia Bonotto uh, will survive under the scrutiny of the new CEO, whose name I, for some reason, don't have in front of me because I'm an idiot. Uh, but Kibler had a much more laxadaisical approach to the expectations and excuse me, the expectations and execution of the team. I think there will be a top to bottom restructuring of everything from the mechanics all the way up to the engineers, the tactical directors, the strategists, all of it. Uh, John Elkin, uh, forgive me if that's incorrect in pronunciation. Is a young guy, uh, he's only 44 years old, and he is basically, he's an American-Italian. And not to say that the American is what gives him the advantage. I don't want anybody to misconstrue me that way. But that is the first departure from the Italian-only heritage they've had for a while. And with that younger head in charge, there will be an influx of new ideas, new principles, new philosophies, and you know, sort of the good old boy uh, nepotism system, I think, will start to go away. That's what I hope. Uh, and just keep your eyes on the structural integrity of all the older minds that are past their prime or the guys just there because of Italian heritage in the team. Uh, it's going to be a recruiting drive like we have not seen in a very, very long time in Ferrari, hopefully. Matt, I have a question for you on this. Uh, mm-hmm. as, as a Ferrari fan, do you see this as a good... Good change or a bad change going forward? I think it's a very, very good change. Uh, Once again, I have to reiterate, I wish nothing but the best for Camilleri, but he took over in 2018. And the only reason we were competitive in 2019, popular opinion for Kifosi inbound, was we had illegal engines. So not only do I want to see us be competitive, I want to see us be competitive in the right way. And... Camilleri let too many things slide because he wasn't as invested in all machinations of the team like Marchione was. And I think Elkin will kind of recapture the essence of Enzo in that he is so intensely focused on the racing side that you know Ferrari's automobiles you have on the road are only there to fund the team in the olden days. And I hope to see you know, that that heart, that spirit be reinstated in Ferrari and keep the emphasis on where it should be.
0: Andy, I'm interested to get your, your opinion on this as a, a, a very well-versed
3: uh, F1 fan. What, what, what do you take on this? Difficult one, really. Um, Ferrari have always been one for changing their personnel constantly. I know he's obviously dropped out due to personal reasons, but whether it's going to make any changes or anything like that, nobody really knows.
1: You know, one of the uh, most critical voices in the Ferrari camp was look at De Montezamolo, uh, who was let go a couple years ago. And he was one of the few outvoiced critics about how Ferrari handled Sebastian Vettel's lack of delivering on their demands. They expected, it like, you know, the old mentality of if you can't blame the car, you can't blame the car. Well, we've seen this year that if you're not using an illegal engine, that platform is not even a midfield contender. They're sixth in the constructors, which is unacceptable. Uh, you know, the people who managed Ferrari in 2014 didn't have any experience in Formula One and they didn't have the competence in Formula One. The, the road going people, road car going people expected you just come in, change a few design criteria and win Formula One just like that. It is not that simple. It has to be a system, and a top to bottom implementation to let everything go. And I, I want to see men like Di Montezomolo come back into the fold, and I, that's why I'm excited about this change. Even though it's scary, I'm hoping it will be a writing of the chip.
0: Okay. Matt. Um, it's not the only change that's happened this week. It's uh, McLaren have changed a few things, and they've sold a bit of their team, haven't they?
1: Yes, they have. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen all the details of the contractual obligations. However, there is an American investment firm who i forget the name of i believe the stake was 135 million sets on right lads uh, uh, yeah. yeah it does yeah uh it could not have come at a better time for mclaren uh without giving anything away uh where they finished in the midfield battle this year was huge uh with the amount difference in the prize money that would be coming their way but also having a fresh influx to spend at their discretion uh you know they're not far off the mark uh and i'm not sure how directly you can relate $135 million to on-track performance. That's why I'm not a budget analyst or a designer for F1. However, every dollar counts. And I think it would be a good thing just to have a little bit more breathing room for the McLaren brand and Zach Brown to implement the system the way he wants because they're, the formula is there. They just have to refine it. Cool. Well, we don't think this is going to be a change like
0: the Williams takeover, is it? This is just business. It's just investment. There's nothing to get overexcited about. Am I right?
1: Yes, it's not rich energy part two for McLaren.
2: Got it. I think it's, it's you know, investment to get McLaren on, onto that top step.
3: I wonder if it's anything more to do with their road cars this year, because obviously they haven't had any massive sales, losing a lot of money there. They obviously need that investment to keep that going. 2020 has not been kind to them and that sort of things. That's very true. That is a I good point. Want,
1: I almost wonder if you know twenty twenty hasn't been kind to any vehicle manufacturers, honestly, in comparison to last year. Uh, but I think it's also them reaping the rewards of what they've achieved on track this year. They're a much more enticing investment platform now because they're not disappointing at all. They had a fantastic season, a uh, fantastic race th- this weekend. Uh, But all that hard work is starting to pay off. The trajectory is trending upwards, and investors are seeing that, and now they're able to capitalize on that.
0: Interesting. Okay. Um, Let's talk a bit about the race then, shall we? Um, Does anyone want to talk about, uh, lap by lap, what happened? Was there anything to even talk about? There was nothing to talk about.
2: (laughs) Nothing at all. Apart from Perez... You know having a bit of unfortunate luck with his engine and going out, what was it, lap 10? Um, he gained five places after starting at the back, but you know, that, that was really the only real interesting thing that went on. It was so boring.
3: I think I said during our race chat, Perez had the most um position changes in the race in that he went up five and dropped down five again, <laughs> um, and that's pretty much all that happened.
1: Yeah. You know, I think it's sad. We always whine about overtakes. And there were some overtakes, especially at the second DRS zone today. However, I mean, Pierre Gasly was the only one that even made me kind of open my eyes out of my admittedly drunken stupor watching this race because it was just so rote, procedural overtaking, almost, if you will.
0: Yeah, so for for anyone who didn't watch it, basically they they went off the line in pretty much the same order that they qualified in, Um, and then they finished the race, really. Yeah, that sums it up. And you
2: know what I'm really gutted about? I've been wanting Verstappen to win for weeks and weeks and weeks, and it's been tainted by such a boring race. I'm so happy he won, but God, it, it couldn't have been a more boring way to win a race.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, qualifying was far more interesting than anything that happened in the race, and well done Verstappen. He, he finally got it, and he deserved it. That was a mega lap um, to put him on on, on the, on the uh, pole position. But uh, regarding the race, there's nothing to talk about. There's more news after the race than there is actually about the race. Um, I'll just touch on oh, Mr. Albon. Um, he, he said after the race that he feels he has done everything save the Red Bull seat. Hmm. I mean he didn't have a
2: bad race today. He didn't have a good race today. Yeah he was he was consistent though and that's what he needed if anything else. He he's been poor consistency for most of the season. Not necessarily bad driving just consistency's not been there and that's why he's so far down the table. Um, But today he got a bit of that back and towards the end all right too little too late but he, he was catching the Mercedes so-
1: I'm going to disagree. Uh, yes, he finished fourth, which is a great result. But the pace differential, granted, Max is running in clean air at the front. I get that. But Max has been almost within touching range of the Mercedes throughout the year. Uh, Mercedes had those MGUK issues where they had to detune the duty cycle on their MGUK, which oh, basically gives them less power. That's the long and short a uh, simplistic version of say, way of saying that. If that is the case and Lewis Hamilton is not feeling well, Max took them to Gap Town very early in the race and comfortably retained that throughout. So same car, same platform. The Honda engine is very, very strong. Why was he not able to maintain that attack throughout? I understand there's back markers. He's going to be having to worry about cooling coming offline and all of that. I, I understand that. But they waited until lap 4. Forty-six of, was it 50? 51? Yeah, well, if I, I, for some reason, I think 52, but I could was be it wrong. 52? Either way, they waited until that time to say max attack and try and close that gap to Hamilton, and I just wonder if they waited too long, or if Alex Alvin just doesn't have the ability to capitalize. And maybe I'm nitpicking, but I felt like this was his chance to take the fight to the Mercedes rather than just accepting, you know, being lewis hamilton's blocker in the rear there's there's Uh, there's two
0: really good points there matt which is um mercedes obviously turned down their engines so they weren't uh, they weren't really going for verstappen were they verstappen mm um he he had a more comfortable race than he otherwise should have um yes bottas was just being bottas in second um Hamilton couldn't get past, and he's obviously been really unwell, and he's been, you know, quite public about that. And it, it certainly seemed like he struggled. But maybe Red Bull just didn't want Albon to
1: screw it up. Fourth place, they're happy with that. It's better than what he normally does. It is, but in the same breath, you know, Max Verstappen, lap 40s, uh, excuse me, 46, 47s, talking about, well, we can turn the engine down if you want. Like it, it was that pedestrian a race. There was no concern for Max at all. I mean, it doesn't take away from the fact that he has, you know, a triple crown with fastest in some of the practices, fastest qualifying pole and won the race. Like I, I, I don't want to take away from him, but it was almost as if it was just accepted that Mercedes went, eh, we've already got the title for the drivers and constructors. We're just going to piddle along in the DRS train and set it on cruise control and putt putt away we go. Instead of like, OK, Alex, this, this is your chance. If Horner's talking about you have to do everything this weekend to earn your seat and he's going to, quote unquote, chase down Lewis Hamilton for two laps and then just accept that, oh, I can't do it. He was taking out 1.1 seconds a lap at the end and just aborted the entire pursuit, I felt like. Let's just
0: rewind on what Albin said, though. He did everything to save his Red Bull seat. Andy, do you agree? Yes or no?
3: No, not at all. He just stayed in the same position and, and that's it. Um, it. The gap between Alex and Max is unbelievable. For a world-class winning team, their second driver should be an awful lot better. Just not cutting it in my opinion at all. Kellum, what do you reckon?
2: Um, I think Albon could have done more. But what I will say is that you know Max Verstappen has no fear. He doesn't see Lewis Hamilton, Maltry Bottas, as competitors. He sees them as people he wants to get past. Whereas Alex Albon probably looks at Lewis Hamilton as a seven-world-time champion and think, you know, that'll get into his head and he'll be like, oh, can I get past him? Can I not? Is he going to defend me? Is he going to block me? Am I going to ruin my race by trying to get past him? Whereas Max Verstappen would be behind him and think, stuff this guy, I'm going past him. I don't care who he is. Whereas Albon's a bit more conservative.
0: Yeah, uh, but Verstappen said in an interview this weekend. I can't remember if it was today or yesterday, but he said um, he was talking about how he looks at his performance and things like that, and where he can gain extra time. And he said, "Oh, I don't even look on the open my laptop to look at um, the, the data or anything like that." And he said, "I just talk to my engineer, and if I need to do better in a corner, I'll do better in a corner." Um, whereas a lot of the other drivers, they spend hours. Um, going through this data. And I just thought that just sums up Max perfectly. He doesn't give a damn about graphs and things like that. He just wants to race his car. Um,
1: Matt, what's your thoughts on that? Okay. So end of the season, let's talk about the numbers. Uh, I'll start off with a comparison of Lewis to Valtteri because that's been kind of our litmus test for Alex versus uh, Max. Mm-hmm. You know, Lewis Hamilton has 347 points. Valtteri Botox has 223 It's a 124-point swing. So if we're saying that Valtteri is undeserving of that seat, let's keep that number in mind. You go over to Max. Max has 214 points in third place in the driver's standings. Alex Albon is in seventh with 105. That's a 109-point difference. So that gargantuan a gap tells me all I need to know. Like, yes, Charles Leclerc. Had 98 points. Seb had 33. That's still only a 60 point swing, and that's almost not to, not to take away or defend Seb. You know that still needs to be worked on. Seb had a horrible year, but they're almost doubling their teammates' points, and that not only hurts the team on the whole for the constructors. I mean, even if you have both teams averaging out a little bit better, if you're hitting the upper average on that for both drivers. You have a better competitive chance. So I honestly think the numbers don't lie. 140 points in the same car swing is unacceptable.
0: Cal, if, would you like me to introduce you? Introduce me. You were sitting there with your hand up, but you weren't saying. Sorry, I,
2: I didn't realize he'd stop. <laughs> he'd stop talking. Um, I just noticed when he was on about the the drivers' standings there that pretty much every number two number two driver is. About half the points of the number one driver. That is a, a correlation throughout the grid, apart from McLaren. If you look at everyone else, Racing Point, Renault, Red Bull, Mercedes, AlphaTauri, they're all about half the points of the, the number one driver.
0: It's interesting. I mean, what's what's do we have any ideas or or even just thoughts of what could be causing that? Not a
2: clue. But that that just shows that. <laughs> McLaren, really, you know, they've had two number one drivers this season. You couldn't say Signs was number one because he's only, what, eight, eight points? Eight points in front of Lando at the end of the season. This is Lando's second season in Formula One. So, you know, Lando's had a terrific season. Ninth looks worse than it is. And I think going forward, McLaren have... With Daniel Ricciardo coming in, McLaren are going to seriously rock the boat next season. They are really going to be fighting for this.
0: I agree. And have we have we said yet about McLaren coming third in the championship?
1: We no, have we haven't. And yeah, I think it's a great tie-in to what we're discussing here in that there's no way McLaren could have looked at the beginning of the season and said, we're going to have, in essence, two number one drivers, which is a great point I think Callum made there. But they're reaping the dividends of that instead of settling for an admitted number two. You know, every driver What's the old quote, every driver thinks they're the best at any given time in the right car. And by, by embracing that and putting aside all the political BS and the showboating and, and the, the power struggle within the teams, they found a way to make it work. We have all loved the Carlos Lando chemistry from the beginning, but they also are two fantastic drivers. And yes, Seb is a four-time world champion. He was supposed to be that with Charles, and it didn't pan out. But McLaren got it to work and just show how competitive they can be by having those two Alpha dogs putting up similar points. If you're getting a guy that's half of your points, maybe it's time to reevaluate. Now, granted, I really hope Mercedes goes. You know what? but Boutsen is okay and they don't get somebody that puts up Lewis Hamilton numbers because then we won't touch them again for another 10 years. But the other teams need to take a note from McLaren and realize like Esteban Ocon, I'm, I I gave you my driver of the day last week, but you're 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 not on Daniel O'Carlos level, it's not even close and you won't be on Fernando Alonso's next year. So why?
0: Mm. mm. It's it's a good point you make there, and I think there are gonna there's going to be the argument of well, it's because they the team focuses on the one driver rather than it being the drivers not performing. We're always going to have all of those arguments, but I think, um, I think I agree. Uh, I do agree. I tell you what was nice about this race, we had a few nice helmets. Um, that was about probably the most exciting thing to look at on the on the track this weekend. So, um, off the top of my head, because I can't find my notes right now. It was Russell um, had a had a tribute helmet. Um, that was to the Williams family. Uh, we had Leclerc, Vettel, and, well, Grosjean didn't race, but he had a special uh, helmet ready, didn't he? Which was your favourite, guys? My
2: favourite was uh, Russell's to the Williams family, uh, purely because they have stuck it out year after year after year. Claire has tried to keep her father's legacy going in the sport, And I think it's really such a shame that they're they're no longer going to be in the sport from next year. So I think it's a really nice touch from Russell there
0: to, to honour them in this, in their last season. Yeah. And they've given him that platform as well, haven't they? To, to, to be in F1. Okay. He's running around at the back of the grid in the Williams, but um, he's got bigger things coming. I I really like that. And I also thought it was the coolest design. Um, The most amateur design has got to go to Grosjean's, but it, it was, it was a shame he didn't get to use it, wasn't it? It was, it was a nice touch, I thought.
1: And I really hope he makes good on his statement. Uh, it's not going to be the most attention-grabbing and, you know, aesthetically pleasing, but the message behind that helmet uh, designed by his children, and that just shows the upstanding character of Roman Grosjean. And we as a page, and me as an individual, you know, we do make light of some of the shunts and the missteps he's had along the way. But we can't take away the quality human being he is, the ambassador for the sport that he is, and the father he is. That is a heartwarming tribute, and it just, it's worth a look. I hope we get to see that helmet, it, even if it's a throwback, uh, like a one-off like Fernando Alonso did in the uh, R25 today. I hope we get to see that go around a track one day because he's, he's earned that, he's, and it's, it does the sport and the heart good.
0: I've got to be honest, it's probably the the one design I spent the most time looking at, uh, Grosjean's one, because I was just reading all the different things on it, whereas the others were just a bit, whoa, 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 this is cool design stuff. Uh, What was on Vettel's? Oh, it was that chrome,
2: the chrome base with the rainbow prancing horse, wasn't it?
1: It was proper out there. Okay, I I will feel the, the... The baseball yes, here. Yes, I I, you, I didn't I, want to just... be the guy, but... <laughs> <laughs> I aimed it at you, and you're like, no, no, Ollie, no. I, did, I could just feel all of the podcast listeners going, oh, my God, here he comes again. Uh, he had a very, very touching message at the top of his helmet, uh, Grazie Regala. And within the linear design of the letters, you know, he mentions the Tifosi, he talks about the team at Marinello, and it's it's a very little subtle nod of, thank you for the time I've had, with the team here uh it was touching it was my second favorite design that was on track today so i'm sure you're gonna toss me the other one hopefully so i can just gush but it was a classy move by seb despite all the criticisms despite the overall feeling i think he's had this year in the garage uh to still be the class statesman that he is to say thank you and pay homage like that
0: and did, did you want to just touch on um, Leclerc's helmet, Matt?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have often joked about I don't understand people getting replica helmets, even though I have my, my boy Seb's SF90 back there. I've never wanted to have a model of a helmet until today. Uh, Charles Leclerc had one of the most genius designs I've ever seen. He had uh, Donka Seb on the helmet and within the numbers on his helmet he had photos of him and Seb together which just reaffirms to me I love Charles Eclaire, I love Seb I love seeing that that team that team there the rest of the goings on in the garage I don't care about those two have respect for each other that was classy of Charles and it was a very very touching uh tribute I felt and I will not go in more in depth because I may shed a tear and I have to be a male can't little <laughs>
0: Charles is is replacing Grosjean as a nice man now, isn't he? Uh, It's just the nice bloke, I think. But it's incredible that they had such a nice relationship given the amount of times that they've crashed into each other. And just what sprung to mind was Brazil when... I still blame Seb for that because I blame him for most things. But um, when he drove straight into Leclerc and took them both out. But yet they're still friends.
1: You don't see that often, do you? At the end of the day, I think Charles recognises... Even though he was outperforming Seb by leaps and bounds this year, there is still wealth of knowledge within that man's head. Uh, they were a team above all else. They didn't have the bromance. They didn't have the cutesy dance videos that Daniel Ricardo and his trainer have. They weren't as in-your-face with it, but there was a stoic respect between those two, and they got along great, despite the pressure cooker that is being a Ferrari driver.
0: Yeah, basically they didn't have a Red Bull PR team making them drive around with trailers behind them and and having fun because Ferrari just don't do that type of thing. They actually just got on um, and respected each other. That's that's a nice little story, isn't it? Um, Okay, there there were some other ones, but I can't even be bothered to talk about them. I think Hamilton had a a different colour on his helmet. Um, I know Lando did something. Perez, not that we saw it for long, we got a really good look at it walking back to the garage. Oh, I, was, I was probably asleep by that point.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Checo had a massive gracias on the back of his helmet, which I think is a thank you to everybody that has voiced their opinions, including us, that he should have that seat next year. I think it's also a thank you to maybe not the Strolls, but the Racing Point team uh, for supporting him and giving him their all throughout the season. Uh, we hate to see him go. The, the entire F1 world weeps. Sorry, he's we not going, why.
0: Matt. Sorry, Matt, he's not going. I'm not having it.
1: <laughs> let's, let's start a petition. We'll I'll stroll and we'll find a way. Like, maybe we should start a donation from the nerds to where we can buy Racing Point and do what we want with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, as we stand at 10 past six on Sunday, uh, the latest that we have was from Ted's notebook, which said... He believes that it is now signed, sealed, delivered, apart from the press statement, that Perez will take the number two seat at Red Bull and um, Albon will go into the reserve seat. Um, I, I, I kind of t- trust Ted. I like Ted. I think he normally talks quite, quite a bit of sense. And if he's probably got a better idea than I do. I can
2: see it being the other way. I think that Perez would probably be the reserve and Albon in the seat. If they ever want to keep Albon in the future, if he ever does come good, they want him to develop, they're going to have to give him the racing time. I think they'll give Perez the reserve seat. I
0: think that'll be the way it goes down. That's actually a really interesting
1: way of thinking about it. I hadn't considered that scenario. Do we have any word officially on Kvyat's seat? I believe he's gone, eh? He's gone, but we haven't heard anything on who is taking that. So... I don't know if they're going to move Albon down to AlphaTauri. Excuse me, to the side because they're sister teams now, but we all know what's really going on. Uh, So do you put Checo in Red Bull with Max, or do you keep Albon there and put Checo with Pierre Gasly to boost AlphaTauri? I don't know the machinations there of what their intent is. I think it could be a win-win no matter how they play it, just as long as Checo stays in the sport.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think they've got, um, is it Yuki Tsunoda? who had a really steady season in F2 this year, I think he will end up in that AlphaTauri seat.
1: And he's on his
2: Yeah, I I think Red Bull and AlphaTauri are all about the next generation. And I can't see them... It would be a really weird, out-of-character move
0: for them to put Perez in an actual seat, not in a Mm -hmm. reserve seat. I I agree with that, Cal. One thing I will say uh, before we go is whoever's got that seat next year, no pressure. Can you imagine the amount of pressure that that person's going to have after this year? I I actually wouldn't want to be in that seat if I was Perez. I'd rather have the
1: year off. They may as well put a decal of Helmet Marco (laughs) on the side of the Hans device, just staring at them the entire time they're driving, (laughs) because that's what it's going to feel like.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, on that note... We've spoken about helmets for longer than we did the race. That pretty much sums up the last race of the year, doesn't it? Um, we are not going, though. Don't worry. Don't fret. There is no more races this season, but there is more nerds. We're going to come back next week, and um, it might be a two-parter, but we're going to review the season. We're going to talk about the best bits, the worst bits, the best drivers, the worst drivers, and just just really go back a bit because it's been so chaotic that we've actually forgotten about all of the madness that happened at the beginning of the year. And um, it's been one of the, one of the most interesting uh, years, like I said earlier, um, this year. So um, if there's any special bits you want us to mention and you want to share your favourite bits, um, just drop us an email. I'm going to do it on the email this time because I can't keep track of Facebook anymore. Um, just drop us an email, info at formulanerds.com simple as that just, just what was your favourite moment um, but we'll leave it there for now Cal thank you very much for joining us today sir yeah thanks for having me
2: thanks for listening and also Ollie let's not forget to mention the fact that we're going to see a little guy called uh, Karun Chandok on the 18th so we'll have a bit of news about that in the next podcast because it would have already happened so we'll be able to tell you all about that as well
0: When is is it next week yes it is Oh, wait. I need to prepare for that. Um, okay, Matt, thank you very much for uh, your wisdom and insights and thoughts as you give us every week.
1: I have wisdom. Uh, I'm putting that on my CV now. Uh, just want to thank all the listeners for the feedback. Uh, remember to check us out on all of our socials. Wherever you can think of, just look for Formula Nerds. We'll be there. And I cannot wait to see what we have coming up in the offseason.
0: And Andy our co-founder of the nerds we started this when there was no racing and we're going to get through this period of no racing again thank you for joining us today and uh, thanks for coming on the show thank you very much i'd obviously
3: just like to say a big thank you to all our members uh we'd be nothing without you and uh yeah thanks a lot awesome well go and buy
0: some merch and stuff because we need to pay for podcasts and things like that but uh just do it if you want to peace out thank you